Hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the Associate Lead Pastor here at Trinity. And this is our fourth week in our Lenten series on the Exodus story. Today, we're going to read a few verses from chapter five, uh, and then we'll spend a few minutes together reflecting, see what the Lord might have for us. This is Exodus chapter five, verse 20. As they left Pharaoh, they came upon Moses and Aaron, who were waiting to meet them. They said to them, The Lord look upon you and judge. You have brought us into bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned again to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you mistreated this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated this people, and you have done nothing at all to deliver your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this exchange is between Moses and uh, Hebrew overseers, and then, of course, Moses and God. These overseers have been appointed by Pharaoh to oversee their fellow Hebrews who are working as slaves. And the situation for the Hebrews has just been made much worse as a result of Moses going to Pharaoh to tell him to let the Israelites go. And I just want to, as a quick aside, say this in Moses' defense. Moses did not go to Pharaoh and declare that the Israelites should be let go forever. What he said was, let them go for a few days to worship in the wilderness. But as if to make perfectly clear the true nature and extent of their slavery and his control over them, Pharaoh says no, and he insults their God, and he increases their workload for even suggesting that such a thing would be possible. And this is ultimately why the supervisors are upset with Moses and Aaron, which is the verse, the scene in the verses that we read. But it should be noted that before the supervisors ran into Moses and Aaron and accused them, they had first gone to confront Pharaoh about his unjust treatment of the Hebrews. That's the part we didn't read. They say to Pharaoh in some, you are unjust to your own people. And in response, Pharaoh says the same thing to them that he had said to Moses. You're lazy. Lazy, he says it twice. That's why you asked to go worship. So the supervisors had failed in their attempts to advocate for the Israelites, just like Moses. But what do they do? They blame Moses. They run into him and Aaron as they're leaving Pharaoh, and they say, The Lord look upon you and judge. You have put a sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill us. It's your fault. And then notice how Moses responds. To his credit, he doesn't defend himself, at least on the spot. He doesn't blame God, again, at least not on the spot. If he says anything to them at all, we don't know what it is. What we know is that he takes his frustration to God and says to him, Lord, you have mistreated this people. It's your fault. Here's what I would like for us to notice and reflect on together. There is a lot of finger-pointing and blame-shifting going on here in just these few verses. And it all started a lot earlier because Pharaoh first chose to blame the Israelites for being lazy rather than acknowledging that he had, to put it mildly, a rather maniacal control issue. And one might argue, rightly, I think, that it had all started even a lot earlier than that. 
And in fact, it had started way before Pharaoh. When was the first blame game ever played in human history? Do you remember? At least biblically speaking. Well, it was Adam and Eve in the garden. They're both naked in the bushes, both pointing their fingers at the other and then at the snake. This is about as human as it gets, that response. Our native instinctual response to seeing weakness in ourselves is to attack it in someone else. It's almost visceral. The visual that comes to mind is that kid's game, Hot Potato. It's like we have this urgency to pass off blame uh, before it even really lands in our hands so that we're not the one caught holding it. But what happens in the story of the Bible, given that fact, is really interesting. Happens first in Genesis, then again here in Exodus 5, and then again in the Gospels. God takes the potato, the blame, and he just holds it, refuses to pass it off. And in so doing, as a result, it puts an end to the game that God knows ultimately no one ever really wins. Notice what happens in verse 23. Moses says to God, Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated this people, and you've done nothing at all to deliver your people. So he starts by accusing God in the verses even before that. Lord, you have mistreated this people. And then in the next verse, in verse 23, he accuses Pharaoh of mistreating this people. But then this is how God responds in verse in chapter 6, verse 6. God says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. That's a lot of I statements. That's a lot of ownership. That's God saying, in effect, regardless of how we got here, I'm going to do my part to change it. I'm going to make it right. And to me, that sounds like a lot of freedom and a lot of love. I think there are likely a lot of us listening today who can recall a time even recently when we felt tempted to shift blame. We were falsely accused or rightly accused. Before the accusation could even really land, we were passing it off. I wonder if the Lord might be inviting us as a kind of Lenten practice to take some ownership, to choose to let it land, and even to hold on to it. Maybe as a way of practicing being free in the way that Jesus is free, free from the need to defend myself or prove anything, free enough and loving enough to sit with sin my own and not my own, so that it doesn't keep getting passed around. 
Because Jesus has, in fact, shown me how to end the game that I know because of him no one ever really wins. Paul writes, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. You can choose today to love in the way of Jesus. I can choose today to love in the way of Jesus. To take an accusation and turn it into an opportunity to grow. To be more free. What a beautiful way to keep a holy Lent. May it be so. Amen.